vintage. All right. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of God appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you stand is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? He said, it's a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it. And it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you also. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Lord, we pray that you would breathe on these words today. God, we know that your written word is always anointed. It always has power. It always has ability. But I pray in accordance with 1 Peter, the scripture written that if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. I pray, God, that you would give me your words today. Words that would transcend my own analysis and comprehension of texts. I pray, God, that you would give me words that would be prophetic in nature. With the anointing to remove burdens and to break yokes. To shine a light, God, into the future as to next steps. To free us, God, from old fears. By a vintage faith in the name of Jesus. Everybody say, Amen. Amen. As you're seated, say the calling, calling. Is, in the drawing. is in the drawing. And I got to know where my staff is before I get started. Where's that? Oh, it's right there. If it was, if it was a snake, it would have bit me. <laughs> All right. Couldn't pass that one up. So I'm going to give some background on this, and um, we've been kind of sharing these principles every week, but uh, it certainly doesn't hurt to repeat these. Everybody say, my calling, my calling is in the drawing. And so kind of for housekeeping matters, just kind of to define some terms and uh, to think about concepts, 
most of us, when we think about calling, and I'll back up and say this, the most important question that we ask, or most often, oftenly asked question, after we're born again, is this, well, the first is, what must I do to be saved? The second is, then, what must I do to make a difference? Everybody say, I'm wired to make a difference. Right? So after we're born again, our spirit comes alive. Our spirit is made new. And then there's this thing within us that longs to make a difference in life. Uh, we refer to that by a number of concepts. One of that, those is calling. Everybody say calling. And so the call of God, many people understand it to be something out there. How many of you know the call of God is something out there? Paul wrote and he said that I seek and I stretch forth to apprehend that for which I have been apprehended. But that, that macro view of calling has to be balanced against a micro view uh, of calling which deals with our everyday steps. Because there are some folks waiting to get into their calling and it's been 25 years. Uh, some folks, they, they, they understand that God's called them to something, but they're not quite sure how it makes sense with their everyday paying their bills and going to work and dealing with crazy children and even being a crazy person every once in a while. Come on, somebody say amen. Right? So we have no clue sometimes how to marry up this, this calling that we sense in our spirit with our everyday life. And so this entire series, we've been kind of breaking down this thought that this huge calling, this idea that God's called us to certain types of things is manifested in the everyday drawings of the Spirit out of our life in the moment. Amen? And so though God's called me to something out there, it manifests myself itself every time He draws something out of my everyday life. Amen? Everybody say the calling is in the drawing. And so a definition of calling, a working definition that I have is this. It's God's invitation to become and do in time what has already been written in eternity. I'll read that again. The call of God is God's invitation to become and to do in time. How many of you know that God calls you to become something before he ever calls you to do something? Because character is more important than what I do every day. I could do the right thing with the wrong heart and then it's still wrong. So what God wants to do is to transform our character into his image to such a degree that what we do flows out of who we become. Amen? So God's calling is his invitation to become and do in time. And I want you to look at this second part of the sentence, what he has already written in eternity. The call of God in your life is not something God makes up as a contingency plan after you screwed up. Right, so God is not as nervous about your present as you are. God is not intimidated by your failures to such a degree that he thinks, oh, i got to think up something now to do. God has written things concerning your life before your life ever came into being. Everybody say there's a story that was already written that God is trying to write. Say there's a story in eternity. That God is wanting to write in time. That's the call of God. Now, Psalm uh, 139, 14 through 16, David writes this. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I said that to Bryn one time and she wasn't sure she could agree with the word of God. So I'm just saying, you know, pray for her. I'm just kidding. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. So David is looking at his life and who he is through the lens of who God sees him to be. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Do you know that we are made not in public places but in secret places? 
God will use public context in order to get us to the point where we are dependent on him. But the making of God always takes place in secret. That's why you should never look at somebody's tribulation and trial and judge what God is doing in their life. You know, some people could have been uh, tempted to look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and said they must have done some wrong things because now they're going into the fire. But you would have missed what God was doing because God will always allow a context to do what? To push you to a place where you need God, where the significant change takes place in the spirit before it ever takes place in the natural. Somebody say amen. I want to encourage somebody to, to, to you today. Don't get so hung up on what is happening to you. Let God begin to bring Breathe into you revelation of what he's doing in you by your going through what you're going through. Amen. We are made in secret places. We are made in the secret parts of our heart. That's why our reaction to things is never uh, what God is most important, most important to God. What is most important is why we react certain ways. It's never the fruit that is the end of the story. It's the root that God wants to change. Okay. So Moses, so here it is, verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days were ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I want you to see this. David writes and says, all of my days, back to that scripture, previous scripture, sorry. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. Do you know that God has ordained things for you before time even came into existence? So that when we talk about the call of God, I'm not trying to figure out what to do next. I'm trying to discern what was already written before I even got here. I'm trying to let God live out and write in time what he has already written about me in eternity. Before the failure, before the storm, before the challenge. Faith is rooted in what God wrote not in where you are now in circumstances. Somebody say amen. So here we have Moses. He comes to the burning bush. Uh, God calls to him. When the Lord saw, he turned aside. God did what? God. God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. That Hebrew word translated called is interesting. It could be translated to utter a sound. To proclaim, to invite, to give name to, or I think what God is doing at the Mo- to Moses at the burning bush is he saying, "Come here, I got something to read to you. Something already written that you didn't know existed. I'm going to call you to go to Egypt." But I'm not making it up as I go along. I'm going to get out the book I wrote. And I'm going to start reading what I spoke concerning you before Egypt even existed. I'm going to call you. I'm going to speak some things over your life before you were even born. I'm going to talk to you about things before you messed up. I'm going to talk to you about things before you messed up the job opportunity. Because your mess up cannot change what I would have already written. Because it is already written. If you don't get anything today, I hope somebody gets free from the concept that your mess up and your screw up and your decision to go your way in time can in any way talk out God out of his 
intentions of what he already spoke about you in eternity. His purposes for you. Listen, the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. That tells me this. I could continue to go a long way, but the, the second I say, God, I'm going to turn, I can get back into the story that God had already written, and I can change things in time because of what he has already written in eternity. Somebody say amen if you believe that. All right. Y'all ready for this today? I feel like I got this message. I told the first service it's like 75 cent complete. I usually like to come in about 90% complete and give 10% wiggle room. So I'm at about 75%. Uh, but I, I trust God's going to speak to us. So when God calls out, he draws out. In the last couple of weeks, we've talked about God drawing out Moses. He drew out his voice, and he also drew out what was in his hand. But I want to talk to you today about God drawing out the most significant thing he can draw out of you. Next slide. Your ability to trust him. Within every believer is an ability to trust God. But most of us don't realize it's there. Everybody say, I have the ability to trust him. Now, how do I know that? Because the book of Romans, Paul, in the book of Romans, Paul wrote, God hath dealt unto everyone a measure of faith. God comes to Moses and Moses is in the presence of God. And the thing that's amazing to me is he is in the presence of God. Undoubtedly, he says he can't even look upon God, and yet doubt still exists. We tend to think that if I can just get into the presence of God, doubt will be dispelled. I find that when I get into the presence of God, all the junk that's in me starts to get expelled first. We would think that if, if Moses could just get in the presence of God... What is in him concerning his story would rise up perfectly. What we see is there is doubt that has throughout time been placed on top of eternal things. So that when God begins to draw out of the deep places of Moses, it begins to push up the junk first. You are not a failure when you pray prayers like this. God, just use me. Oh, God, I pray. You ever prayed that prayer? I draw a circle around myself like some famous evangelist. I can't remember his name at the moment, but I draw the circle around myself and I pray this prayer. God, if you're going to send revival, send it to this circle. I'm praying, God, that you would fire me up. I'm praying, God, that you would do something great in my life. And we get excited in the prayer. And the next thing you know, we walk out of the prayer and we want to kill people. We want to commit murders. We hear ourselves saying words that are not right. We begin to act in ways not consistent with revival. And most of us, what we do, that we do like Moses. We are in the presence of God. And he's saying, I'm going to draw you out. I'm going to send you to Egypt. And we say, I don't know about that. You don't know who I am. And you know, I got all these problems. Because what happens when deep calls unto deep, the deep eternal things of God are deep down here. And when they begin to rise up, every 
everything that the devil has placed on top of those eternal things begins to get forced to the surface. Does anybody hear what I'm talking about today? And I want to encourage you. Don't you think because you had a moment and a day and you felt like killing somebody you shouldn't feel like killing and certainly you're not in a revival. So listen, the fact that you have that junk moving up out of your life is not the proof that you're not in a revival. It's the proof that the Holy Spirit has you in a revival and the eternal things of God are pushing up out of you what would ordinarily have stayed under the surface. Somebody give God praise if you believe that God knows how to get out of us everything that's killing us. So, so God has come after Moses' faith and the first thing that manifests is Moses' doubts. Think about it. I'm going to send you. You can't send me. I can't talk. I can't do this. God comes for his faith. The first thing that manifests is doubts. But God has come to restore his ability to trust. Everybody say, Jesus, increase my faith. God says to him, what's that in your hand? Oh, it's a shower rod. Well, no, I'm not sure what I found it in my garage. I don't know. Two parts. Oh, it's my staff. God starts talking to him about what's in his hand. Go to the next slide. I, I, okay, if I just kind of work this today. Next slide. He said, throw it to the ground. He throws it to the ground and it becomes a snake. And then he says, put out your hand and catch it and it becomes a staff. He throws the staff to the ground and it becomes a snake. He picks it up and it becomes a staff. We know because we read the story, God's going to use this staff to free over a million of his people from Egypt. This will be the secret weapon. I find it interesting when he throws it on the ground that it becomes a snake. Because I would expect it to become like a pharaoh killer. Like seriously, God, you're going to come and find a retired shepherd and say, I'm going to send you the most powerful man in Egypt. In the place that you failed. And you're going to tell him let my people go. And then I throw it down and it becomes a snake. You know what the significance of the snake is? I believe this. I studied the history of it. Let's look here on the slides. I'll say this. Sometimes the process of moving forward involves redefining the things that redefined you. Yes. Oh, that's good. Everybody say sometimes. The process... Of moving forward involves redefining the things that redefined you. Go to the next slide. Go to the next slide. Uraeus was a stylized, upright form of an Egyptian cobra. Did you know that the, the symbol of Egypt was a snake? The symbol of Egypt was a serpent. 
This uraeus was a stylized, upright form of an Egyptian cobra used as a symbol of sovereignty, royalty, deity, and the divine authority in Egypt. Next slide. A representation of a sacred serpent as an emblem of supreme power worn on the headdresses of ancient Egyptian deities and sovereigns. Now stick with me, and this might just be for this Sunday, I don't know, but I'm going to give it to you like I felt the Holy Spirit give it to me. It's like I heard the Holy Spirit saying that in order to get Moses' faith moving again, I had to get him to confront what he feared the most. And what Moses feared the most was not a new fear. It, it wasn't, you know, I, look, Moses is in the desert. He sees an actual snake on the ground. He just runs. That's just a natural fear. What he saw, I believe, this turn into was the image that represented the power of Egypt that had struck a fear in him so strong that he ran from it 40 years ago. And sometimes in order to get your faith moving, God has to bring you to a point where you confront the image of that which you fear the most. Let me take it a little bit deeper. When he says, hold out your staff, I believe, you know what the staff represented for Moses? He didn't choose it. It wasn't what he chose his life to be. It was something placed in his hand in a season of running. You read the scripture. Moses kills the Egyptian. He now flees from Egypt. He flees from the symbol of Egyptian power. He runs out and he finds some hot looking babes out there. You know, they're trying to get water. They're the daughter of Jethro. He stands up. He gets a date. He ends up marrying one of them and then he works for good old Jethro. And for 40 years, he carries this staff. This is a young man that he was being, listen, prepared to be the king of Egypt, at least a prince of Egypt. He wouldn't choose the staff. This staff represents everything in our life that in seasons of running we grab onto to survive. Those little everyday things, the second job, the side hustle, the things that if we aren't careful, if we look at them and we think they are reminders of how we failed back there. They are reminders of how we are just ordinary. They are reminders of the fact that we'll never get back to the place that we would have been. And God says, I want you to take the very thing that you have found to survive, the thing in your hand that has comforted you, that has made your way, that has allowed you to survive. And when you throw it down, here's what it's going to become. It's going to become a snake. Why would it become a snake? Because I think in his mind, everything he had to do to survive was still tied to Egypt. He is surviving because he is still running from a power that he deems as controlling in his life. For Moses, the staff, at the root of that staff is the power of Egypt. Somewhere he missed God, so therefore, because he missed God, Egypt is still in control. Where he goes... What he does, 
But God says, I'm going to deliver you and let you know that even the staff in your hand that you think was second best, the things in your life that you did to survive, the ordinary, everyday things, it might look like Egypt put these things in your hand. It might look like they're there because you failed sometime back there. It might look like they are playing triple Z and there's no way you could get back to the plan of God. But I'm so sovereign as God that I can step in at any time and take a staff that seems like it was put in your hand and use it under the anointing to bring a people out of Egypt and bring you into the destiny that I have for your life. Somebody give God praise if you believe that. In this moment, God confronts Moses with the question, who will you allow to write your story anyhow? I think Moses is laboring under a delusion that somehow his life is second best. That somehow this path he has went down and he is going through is second best. But could it be that God is saying what you thought was the result of your failure is actually the result of my purpose to refine some things in you. And when you throw down your staff, you think that that staff is there because of the power of Egypt. But I'm going to show you that the things in your life are there because I'm in sovereign control over your life. When God rewrites a story and picks up the pen. Next slide. Oh, go back to that first slide because this is good. In this moment, God confronts Moses with the question, who will you allow to write your story? Next slide. And define the characters and the scenes and the underlying meaning of events and you and what's in your hand. Are you just running or are you there on purpose? Could it be that God's been working when you thought that you were just surviving? Could it be that God is preparing a deliverer on the inside of you when you thought you were just wandering around in a desert? God says, let me have the pen. And next slide. Oh, here's this scripture. Genesis 50, 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about to this day. Those are the words of Joseph, who after a lifestyle of being betrayed, sold into slavery, talked about, put into prison, can at the end of his life, see, there's a lot in that word, it. You meant evil against me. God meant it for good. You mean that God will use betrayals for good? You mean that God will use misunderstandings for good? You mean that God will let you be sold into slavery for good if you let him? He can take a staff that seems like it's the second best for your life and say, I'll take it in this season. If you'll let me have it, I will cause it to be not only used by me, but the very thing about your story that is compelling enough to bring people out of their Egypt. I'll 
use the betrayals. I'll use the nights of fear. I'll use the infidelity. I'll use the disloyalty. I'll use that they talked about you. And if you let it, at the, you'll come to a moment where you realize those were the moments where you were trying to get a hold of my heart. You didn't just want me to have an anointing. You want me to have a character that, listen, is sensitive to the voice of God. That is now a shepherd that can go forth with the ordinary, everyday plan B's. And let God anoint it to bring a people out of Egypt. Somebody give God praise. Next scripture. We know that all things work together for good. God certainly doesn't cause all things, but he will cause all things to work together for the good. All right, here's where I wanted to get you. My father-in-law last week said, he said, they were all awesome. All three messages that you preach today, they were all incredible. That was a joke. All right, next slide. Next slide. When God takes the pen in his hand, the first thing he does, next slide, he will often ask you to throw down what's in yours. This staff, though it's a plan B, has been comforting to Moses. For 40 years, it's given him an ability to survive. Might not be what he expected, but it's been what's in his hand. And I think what God's coming and saying is this. I'm going to use what's in your hand, but you've got to be willing to let go of it. Because as long as you hold a tight grip, it will define you rather than you defining it. So Moses, throw it down. What's... What does it feel like to throw down? The things that might not be what you thought they would be, but they're still your thing. To throw down your job, to throw down identities. To at 80 years of age, to when you're thinking about winding down, but God says, I don't want you to wind down. I want you to throw some things down. I want you to throw down this part of you, and I want you to let me redefine it. I want you to throw it down. He said, throw it to the ground. How many know there's power in surrender? There's power in surrender. We live in the midst of a culture of entitlement. And I will preach it without fear, because I know one of the number one hindrances to revival in America is a church that has things they can't throw down. We understand what it is to throw down the immorality, to lay down the bad things. What about the good things? That's it. Let me tell you, I'll be anointed in this pulpit as long as I am open-handed with it to the Lord. As long as I can say, it's not my church. It's not my pulpit. Not my staff. your staff. You want me to pick it up? 
pick it up. Let me lay it down. I lay it down. He's saying to Moses, if I'm going to take the pen in my hand and write what I have written in eternity, you got to let go of what's in yours. Because I'm going to use it, but it can't define you. Everybody say, throw it down. He threw it down, and the second thing is this. When God takes the pen, he will speak in the midst of fears to inspire a vintage faith. So I found this about moments of surrender and consecration. Is that often when I throw things down, what I fear the most begins to slither on the ground. When God called me to preach, I was the shyest in my high school class. I couldn't get him to give a speech. I've told you this story. Filled with the Holy Spirit. My heart is responding to the frequency of the Holy Spirit that he has called me. And when I laid it down and said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, I begin to see things slither in front of me of fear that said, you can't do that. What is interesting is Moses throws this down and it becomes what he fears the most. Because again, whenever God begins to deal with things of eternity, the things of fear often rise up first. And in that moment, if we don't know how to listen for a voice, when the snake is slithering, we will run in deserts and never move forward. Now, here's an interesting point. Think about this. He is more afraid of this snake than he is God. How do I know that? He hides his face from God. But he runs from the snake. How many of you have ever been in a situation in life where you felt God's calling, God's drawing, the presence of the Holy Spirit trying to get something out of you in the moment, and you were willing and eager, but the moment it started to draw out of you, things started slithering of old fears in front of you. You can't do this. You don't have what it takes. That Listen, the snake that got your parents, they're going to get you. The physical condition that was in your family, it's going to get you. You think you want to stand out? You think you want to surrender to God? Well, watch what, listen, it's, it's also going going to bring many times manifestations of things that strike fear in our heart. And in that moment, you have to make a decision. Am I going to let the snake that is slithering on the ground produce fear in my life? Am I going to let the old fears dominate me in this moment of destiny, in this moment of drawing? Or am I going to listen for a voice that is there that will speak and give me direction as to how to take authority over these old fears? Am I talking to anybody in this moment. I want to tell you, you know how many marriages men and women have come together and they prayed and they said, God, we want our marriage to be heaven on earth. And they begin to throw down their marriage and they begin to say before God, we give it to you and they give it to you. And the next thing you know, something starts slithering on the ground to say, you can't do this. You need to give it up. And people run from marriages that they're supposed to run to God in the midst of and to find a place of faith. And here's the reason why we see the fear, but we don't listen for 
for the specific voice of God. But I'm going to tell you there's a voice in the midst of every testing. There's a word of God in the midst of every situation where God is trying to build up my faith. And can I tell you this? Listen, that snake represents a fear that might for Moses goes back 40 years. But the word that God is going to speak represents a story that was written in eternity. And I'm going to tell you eternal words always trump temporary stories. It might be an old fear, but there's a vintage faith that's getting ready to come out of your spirit if you in the midst of that slithering on the ground, that moment of fear at the point of of your destiny begin to say, you know what, I'm going to listen for a voice that's going to tell me pick that thing up and rise up in authority and I'm going to let his word bring a vintage faith that trumps temporary fears. Somebody give God praise if you believe that. Watch what he says. <laughs> or watch what God says. Where the word of a king is, there is. Where the word of the king is, there is power. This is why many believers spend their life running from snakes rather than grabbing them by the tail. And if we don't grab them in one generation, they will live and strike fear in the next. I don't know about you, but how many are ready to draw the line on some generational curses that have been in your family line for long? Let me just take a moment to say this. How many of you are sick and tired of fear dominating you? The same fear that dominated your mother and your grandmother or your father and your grandfather. The same spirit, listen, of python, of failure that has lived in your family line. And you're just about not ready to run this time that it slithers at the moment of your destiny. But you're saying, God, I'm looking for a word, an eternal word that would bring about a vintage faith that is more powerful than what is going on in the moment? Am I talking to anybody in here today that is looking for that kind of vintage faith? Yeah. Let me throw this out to you. And Craig, I'll throw it out like I was, I was thinking about this this morning. We are trying to have faith when God never asked us to try to have faith. We're trying to get a fresh faith. Fresh word. I need a new faith for a new beginning. No, you don't. You need a vintage faith for your new beginning. The faith that God requires is a faith that we don't try to have. It's a faith that is produced by a word from God. Adam and Eve walked in faith as long as they walked in the word. But the second the enemy came and talked them out of the word, they got into a trying to have faith existence. You ever wondered why we need to be saved by grace through faith? Because faith is what was lost. Everything else flows from a lack of trust. God is saying to Moses, it's going to be, once you get out there, You're going to take out Egypt. You're going to stand there. You're going to speak to Moses. Or you're going to speak to Pharaoh. It's going to work. But before you get there, i got to fix something in you. i got to show you your fears. And then I've got to speak to you in the midst of the fears. And then number three, 
if I'm going to rewrite your story, I got to challenge you to grab your fear by the tail. Not by the head, by the tail. Don't grab it in a way it could bite you. You grab that thing by the tail because you are the head and that fear is the tail. As long as fear is allowed to be the head, we will run in terror. But the second I start to say this fear is no longer going to dominate me anymore. And I'm going to let God rewrite this story by faith. I can grab it by the tail and pick it up and redefine what this staff is. I want you to see this. This was such a transformational moment. I've never even seen it in scripture until this morning when I was looking at it. Think of how quickly this, this changed. Moses sees the serpent and he runs. He is fleeing. But when God says pick it up, he lets the word create a vintage faith. A vintage faith, by the way, is where God's faith becomes your faith. Where his confidence becomes your confidence. I'm not trying to reach out there and become something for God. Breathing that word in until it's God on the inside of me and suddenly the runner runs back and takes that fear by the tail and when he picks that fear up he tells that fear what it is he says no more now you are going to be the staff that is going to bring about change everywhere that I go what am I trying to say today I'm telling you it is time that we dealt with the fears in our life ruthlessly we stopped living with them coddling with them building little rooms in our house for them building places in our mind for their perpetual influence in our life and I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying today I want to use you to go forward and break the power of fear on lives but before I can do it I've got to get the fear out of you I've got to get you to a point where you say no more I don't care if it was grandma great grandma and great great grandma it's not going to live in my mind anymore my marriage is going to be free from fear my life is going to be free from fear my vocation is going to be free from fear because I in the name of Jesus I'm going to pick that thing up and I'm going to cause it to be a staff that will bring about the purposes and the plans of almighty God am I talking to anybody in here today that believes that Anthony you know what it takes to start a business it you know what it takes picking this thing up hundreds of times. As we've done this church, I picked up that thing hundreds, if not thousands of times. Every new season requires a new level of faith in me. And you know what God will do? He will begin to bring old fears to the surface before a new faith can emerge on the inside of me. But I have found that every season, if I will say, God, I don't know quite how to do this, but in the name of Jesus, I'll step out and I'll grab it. 
I'll grab it in relationships. I'll grab it in regard to my gift. I'll grab it in regard to what you're saying to do. I'm not going to sit passive. I'm not going to let what slithers on the ground from my past talk me out of what God is trying to do in my future. But I'm going to hear the word of the Lord and I'm going to get down and grab that sucker by the tail and I'm going to, you know the word grab there doesn't mean to touch. It doesn't even mean to just pull a little bit. It actually means strength. It means to grab onto with such force that you will not let go. And I'm telling, somebody here needs to hear this today. You've got to stop letting fear punk your life and you've got to start saying, I'm grabbing that thing by the, listen, if the enemy tells me I can't have a fear of flying, book me the ticket because I'm going to Hawaii this week and I'm going by air because I'm going to grab that thing by the tail and confess the word and break the power of fear in my life. Sometimes you've got to do more than bind it. You've got to defy it. If you've got to, seriously, you got to fear of flying. Don't bind the spirit of flying. Buy yourself a ticket. You're called to preach and you've got a fear of preaching. Come say to Pastor Matt, when can we go preach somewhere? And I will book you a place to preach. You break fear by grabbing it by the tail and making it a staff that you can lean on and bring freedom through through your story. Do you know how many people never apply for the promotion in their position because of snakes that slither on the ground? You don't have the education. You can never do that. You tried it way back there and you failed. And you know what God says? You know how you take up the staff? Log on. Type it up. And press send to apply. Until God tells you to stop applying. Or you get the job. That's it. I'm just going to tell you. I refuse to let fear steal one ounce of my destiny. For the rest of my life. I'm turning 50 this year. And I'm just going to warn you. I'm getting more radical. I'll be more annoying to religious spirits. I'm not slowing down. We're speeding up. I'm not limiting opportunities. I'm saying, Jesus, let's go as strong and high and as powerful as you want us to go. Because I'm not letting fear write my story. Or watch this. I'm not even going to let it edit my story and say, you can do this chapter, but not that chapter. The second that something slithering on the ground starts to define who I am, that means it's time for me to grab it by the tail and pick it up and say, we're going to take this part of the story and thank you for reminding me of that. That little dysfunction in me. Because now that I'm free. We're going to Egypt. And we're going to swallow up fears. And everyone that has the same level of dysfunction. Somebody give God praise if you believe that. Alright go to my last point. Whew. Anybody getting anything out of this? Alright so we overcome vintage fears with the vintage faith. I already talked about that. Next, next point. Next point. Oh, yeah, there it is. When God rewrites your story, he will often send you back to Egypt where you will use the same 
power of faith to swallow up old fears with a vintage faith in somebody else. I want you to see something here in the scripture. I like having this. This is, it makes me feel really good. All right, let's look here in the scripture. It's like a mixture of old school and new school. We got the TVs and we got the old pointer. The old pointer with the professor with eyesight so bad that he has to stand 10 feet behind to even read it. All right. Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt and Moses took the staff of Moses in his hand. It was the staff of Moses. But when you throw things down and you let God work through your fears and you press into a place of trust in God and you pick it back up, what was once your staff becomes the staff of God. Next verse. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Watch the next verse. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers and the magicians, and they did the same by their secret arts. Each man cast down his staff. They became serpents, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. The fear that you let God overcome in your life will not just be a staff for your journey. It has the power that now you can throw it down and it's not coming back to you as fear. It's coming back as a powerful tool of God to swallow up the fear that is in everybody's life that you go to. I want to tell you something today. You thought that this thing would bury you, but if you'll pick that thing back up, it will be the place of your ministry that will swallow up the fear and the dysfunction in everyone you're called to bring out of Egypt. I wish somebody would say amen here today. And I feel an old-fashioned preach coming on me, which means you start shaking your voice a little bit. Because if I was an old preacher, I'd just start preaching like this. And that's why Jesus, on his first miracle... He's not looking for a blinded eye. He's not looking for a deaf ear. He's not looking to walk on water. He says, I'm looking to do something that will show all of you how faith and the miraculous work. He says, so put me in a situation where they didn't cater for the event, where they ran out of wine in the midst of the wedding. And I look back in the corner of the room and I'm not looking for new wine. I'm not looking for new wine vessels. I'm not sending somebody to the store to try to fix this problem. I'm not looking for somebody that's got a reserve in the back of their wagon. Just give me some old vessels back there that are filled with water that nobody would ever think about using and bring those to me because I'm getting ready to do something in the desert that's going to be, listen, I'm going to turn water in the back room into wine that's going to bless the wedding room because that's the kind of God that I am. Somebody say, mm-hmm. thank you, Jesus. I'll amen myself. <laughs> so he says, you bring me those old vessels. 
What you mean the vessels that we use to hold the water to wash feet? Yeah, I'll take those. You mean the one that's got like all the mud of people's journey on the inside of the water? Yeah, I'll take that. I want to use something nobody saw coming. I want to use I want to use shepherds that are 80 years old and seem to be washed out with staffs that nobody would ever think could be used in Egypt. I'll use that. I'll put my power on the everyday things. I'll take somebody that everyone else said can't ever do this again and I'll take that old vessel and watch what I'll do with it. And so they bring those old vessels and they put them in front of Jesus. He says, now fill them up with fresh water. Because when God begins to move in our life, he always starts with a fresh infilling. He says, I don't care about the water that you had before you got here, but let me fill you with a spirit that's like a river of living water that's going to refresh you and restore you and empower you and cleanse you and purify you by a different spirit. Somebody give God praise. And then he says, take, take that uh, dipper. Dipstick? No, dipper. Somebody say, I just might be a holy dipper. <laughs> Big dipper. He says, take that dipper. And do what? Draw some out now pick it up now while it's still slithering while it's still just water because this is not even going to be a miracle of wine it's going to be a miracle of faith I don't know what's going to happen to the serpents, if, or servant, the servants, if this water doesn't turn to wine. But they, they know. Maybe they'll just lose their job. Maybe they'll be put in prison. I don't know. Now take it. Take what? The water. To the master of the feast. We don't know when it turned into wine. But we know that when they drew it, it was still water. We don't know the precise second it became a staff, but we knew when he grabbed it, it was still a serpent. And in this first miracle, Jesus teaches the principle that if you let me draw some out now, And you're willing to walk with water. At some point before I get you to the master of the feast. That water is going to turn to wine. The calling is in the drawing. Can you see the serpents? They're walking. And they had to be tempted. This is not wine. What are we doing? Keep on walking. But it's not wine yet. They need wine. But just keep what Jesus said to keep on walking. You heard his mom. Whatever he says to you do. You heard his mama. You heard his mama. Whatever he says you do. And she looked kind of scary. So we should do what she says. Whatever he says to you, do it. And because they were willing to walk with water, what was seemed to not meet the need eventually became exactly what was needed in the moment. And when they drank it, they said, watch this. Because here's my final Grand Slam point. 
they drink the wine and he says, you've kept the best wine for now. In other words, he's saying, you didn't bring something new. You brought something vintage. (laughs) You brought something that was greater than the water it came out of. And when Moses grabbed that serpent, he reached into a vintage faith, I believe, rushed up out of his spirit because he was willing to lay it down, to face his fears, and to pick it up again and say, God, let's go wherever you want to go and set people free. And can I just prophesy to you in the last two minutes of my message, can I just tell you that the church of Jesus Christ is getting ready in America to experience the greatest revival that the church has ever seen seen here. And it's not going to be because we are pretty vessels. It's not going to be because we're young and ready to go and we've been trained in Egypt. It's going to come because some of us old as Moses, we've been walking around in the desert. We've been wondering why we're here. We've thought about giving up before. We look at our past and we say there's no way that God can do anything. We look at the staff and say surely this is not a weapon that God could use against Pharaoh. But God's saying this, if you let me cause you to throw it down and pick it up again I will bring a vintage faith out of your life that will break the power of the devil and bring a generation to the kingdom of God somebody give God praise if you believe that today I wish somebody give God praise if you believe that today stand with me if you will oh I hope somebody got something out of this